there will always be an investigation and the, having that representation to get you off on the right footing early on is critical because if you make mistakes and you, let's say you interview before you're emotionally ready to interview, you have then locked in a record that now when it transitions to that civil arena that you own. I say this all the time that I say it too much, but the average concealed carrier has no idea that if you have to exercise lethal force in self-defense, you have just dedicated the next two years of your life to extreme scrutiny. This is the Church Security Made Simple podcast, giving leaders practical solutions to help make your community safer. I'm your host, Simon Osmo, and I'm on a mission to keep his churches safe. Now, it's been over 10 years since the Lord called me into security ministry, and as a national church safety practitioner supporting churches across the country, I'll share my expertise to give you simple solutions to keep your church safe. So if you're ready to make your church security simple, come join me and let's dive into this week's episode as we learn how to plan, prepare and protect our ministries. Well, Steve, Gary, I'm really excited for this conversation today. I know my listeners, whenever we touch firearms, the downloads go up. People open their ears and they're really engaged in this conversation. I think you need to be in today's world because there's so much danger out there. There's so many things where we can really fall foul of the law. We've really got to make sure that we're informed. And I think this conversation today is going to do that. So Gary and Steve, thank you for joining me. But maybe let's start with some introductions. Gary, we'll start with you first. Sure. My name is Gary Eastridge. I'm the critical response coordinator for CCW Safe. My background's in law enforcement, violent crime investigation specifically. I did about 32 years with two different agencies prior to joining the CCW SAFE team, and I've been with them since uh, May of 2017. Sounds good. It's a freeway interview, so Steve, you're now up. Okay. Uh, my name is Steve Moses. I'm a uh, content contributor for CCW SAFE. I'm also a content contributor for the Farm Trainers Association, as well as one of the uh, customer support representatives. I've been a farms trainer since uh, 1994. During that time, I spent 18 years as a reserve deputy constable, 10 of those years on the special response team. I am licensed in the state of Texas to perform what they refer to as executive protection. It's actually called personal protection. That, and I'm also a licensed personal protection officer instructor. I have uh, multiple instructor uh, certifications, and I own a company called Palisade Training Group, along with my two partners, and uh, we teach a variety of disciplines uh, primarily related to farms. However, our, probably our, our, our mothership class that we are most known for is our church security fundamentals class and our church security team leader slash instructor development course. Well, Gary, Steve's showing us up here with his qualifications and stuff, but he's yeah. just going to be going to be a great conversation. So, why don't one of you, maybe you, Gary, start off talking a little bit first about uh, CCW Safe, and then we can move the conversation into how it's applicable for church security. Sure, it's uh, it's a pretty interesting backstory, I believe. Uh, our our CEO Mike Darter was an Oklahoma City police officer. 
He was involved in a double fatality police shooting back in uh, about 1997. I happened to be one of the homicide investigators that was assigned. The whole unit went out on the case, but I was the one that was assigned to interview Mike. He was cleared criminally very quick, but as often happens, especially in law enforcement, he was sued by family members. Spent about a year and a half in federal court before he received a summary judgment. The Fraternal Order of Police is our police representation group, and they paid all the legal fees. So when Mike left the police department and went into the private sector, he knew he was going to want to carry a, a firearm because he'd spent most of his time in the gang unit, uh, and he made a lot of close friends in the gang unit that would wish him harm. So like many of us, he chose to carry uh, past his law enforcement career, and but wanted the same type protection. So after he shopped the market and didn't find what he uh, felt really suited his needs, him and our co-founder Kyle Sweet and Stan Campbell got together, brainstormed, and created CCW Safe back in 2011. I like what you said there, and hopefully my listeners are very intelligent people, and I think you would have picked up on something that you said, but he was sued by the family. Do you mind just talking a little bit about that? Because um, that, that's something that we might probably hear about, but might, most probably don't always really acknowledge that there is often going to be civil... Uh, sort of um, indictments or civil yeah. uh, sort of repercussions for our actions. You might talk about that a little bit. Sure. Uh, there's there's actually three different uh, arenas that uh, a concealed carrier should concern himself or herself with, and that's the administrative on the minor end, the administrative defense. That's where the state attempts to revoke your permit based upon your uh, application of self-defense. Uh, and then the two that are really critical is, are the uh, criminal aspect and the civil aspect. You know, anytime you use force, especially lethal force, there will be an investigation. That investigation can result in charges and potentially jail or prison time. Then there's the civil, civil realm, which... Uh, can be filed by the person that you were involved in or any of their heirs or their estate if they uh, are, are fatally wounded. Uh, in Mike's case, uh, a ex-wife of one of the deceased parties who actually showed up at the scene and thanked the officers for taking care of this issue that had been in her, a problem in her life ended period got with a uh, with a civil attorney who said, hey, we can squeeze a few bucks out of them, so let's file a lawsuit. The FOP spent approximately $150,000 to reach that summary judgment. And a summary judgment is just when a federal judge says, that's it, there's none, there's no basis for this lawsuit. Yeah, and it's something in today's world I believe is becoming more and more common, isn't it? You know, yeah. they... Um they, they do see people, they go for deep pockets, don't they? Uh, yeah, guys, absolutely. And that's, you know, I, I, I tell a lot of people, you know, look back at the O.J. Simpson case. O.J. Simpson was found not guilty criminally, but he was found civilly liable for the death. So you, you, just because you win on one playing field doesn't mean you win on all playing fields. Yeah, and I was wanting to come to 
Steve for a second. Ben Gary, I'm going to come back to you with some follow-up questions about the, the criminal versus civil and what um, CCW how might be able to help people with. But Steve, as we look then towards church safety teams, you know, Gary's just laid the foundation there that someone can be taken through the ringer in a civil civil court. What do, what do you advocate for on the front end then? How do we be better prepared? How do we protect assets and how do we train and be ready for these situations knowing that on the back end someone might try and twist the words surrounding you know what we said and what we did well one of the things that i always recommend is that church security teams or persons interested in developing a church security team invest in training from people that have actual experience running a church security team in our particular instance like i said we started uh teaching in 1994. In 2001, one of my partners and I, we became members of a brand new megachurch security team, and we were on that church security team for eight years. He ended up being the agent in charge. I was shift lead when he was not around. We ran the team. We dealt with the issues. And during that time, we got a lot of experience, not only from the perspective of firearm trainers and you know, how we might help someone else, but what, how difficult and fraught with peril of being involved in a church security team is. So my number one recommendation is to get training from someone that knows how to, how a church security team should work, how to develop a team, how to vet the members, how to set up the operating plan, how to get a good security plan with the church leaders so everybody remains in sync, commit themselves to getting trained up, in terms of those things that probably represent the greatest risk, not only to the church, but the church team members themselves. And then once they've done that, then uh, routinely practice. I'd love to see them do it at least uh, once a quarter, once a month would be awesome. But that is the best way that a church security team can not only protect themselves, but protect the congregation and protect the good reputation of the house of worship that they represent. Well, guys, we are eight minutes in and both of you have dropped a nugget here. You know, Gary mentioned about being sued by the family and you mentioned Steve's experience and a good friend of mine, never met him in person, but Guy Beveridge, he's down in your neck of woods in Texas, Steve. And me and him are constantly talking about this and I have to be very honest and very transparent because my listeners know that that's who I am, is that there are people out there that all of a sudden they become an expert in a certain field. And Steve mentioned something there, which again, you really need to listen to is that whether it's me, whether it's Steve, whether it's Gary, it doesn't matter who you're talking to, you've got to vet these people's backgrounds because there's so many people offering services that they're not qualified to do. So um, everyone, you're going you're to work with someone who resonates with you, but I really want to make sure my listeners understand, but verify and vet the people who are going to come to train because there's some people out there that shouldn't be training. And like I said, me and my friend, Guy Beveridge, we talk about this all the time, particularly in the, in the Facebook groups. Uh, you see the church Facebook groups, there's people in there who are like, that person doesn't seem to be qualified to even be speaking about that, never mind training it. So, a uh, great point there, Steve. Gary, what, I want to come back to you for a minute, Gary. When you mentioned about Mike being sued by the family, and there's the criminal versus civil. So, let's talk about CCW for a moment. Does that help someone, my listeners, does that help them on the civil side, or do you just help them with criminal? Talk a little bit about that. All of our plans cover 100% of criminal, civil, and administrative defense costs. That's standard coverage, like I say, with, with every plant. If it then shifts to the civil arena, 
all of our like say all of our plans cover the defense costs. So defense costs would be your attorneys, your expert witnesses, your private investigators, and your actual trial costs. A lot of people don't realize that just going to trial can cost you and your defense team several thousand dollars. Then on top of that, we have civil liability options. They cover civil damages in the event you lose a lawsuit, so you don't have to pay that out of your pocket. And those coverages run from uh, $1 million up to uh, $2 million. And really important, isn't it? I mean, as I sit here in my home, it's the type of thing where I wouldn't want someone to be saying, my Simon you know, owns his own house, and so let's go for his house, or we know he's got a 401k. Let's, let's try and drain his 401k and stuff. So I think that's, that's worthy advice, Gary, for people to really think about there is potentially going to be a criminal trial, but there also could be the, the civil. Most often, as we go back to Steve in a moment, you know, we're going to have done things, we're going to put things in place so we're making sound decisions. So in the moment, I know that I've acted in the best interest of not only me, but, but everyone else. But the perception by family members and others, either the person's life you took or people connected to them, they might say, well, Simon's got deep pockets, let's try and push him on the civil on the civil side. And it could be my attorneys trying to say, well, yeah, you might need to settle to make this go away. So um, having both sides of coverage is, is really, really important because of the most often, if we look at people like Jack Wilson and Stephen Winifred, you know, the criminal side is, is you just got to go through the ringer, you just got to go through it. But the civil side could still be from the family coming after you. So yeah, really interesting. Steve, going back to you for a second one. Oh, go on, sorry, Gary, we're going to say something. I'm just going to say, even before that, in the investigative stage, there will always be an investigation. And uh, having that representation to get you off on the right footing early on is critical. Because if you make mistakes and you, let's say you interview before you're emotionally ready to interview, you have then locked in a record that now when it transitions to that civil arena that you own, and I say this all the time, and I say it too much, but the average concealed carrier has no idea that if you have to exercise lethal force in self-defense, you have just dedicated the next two years of your life to uh, extreme scrutiny. Yeah. And something that I did uh, many years ago, but it flashed up on my phone today, is that my in Minnesota, where I am, you need a permit to carry. I understand in Texas, you, you don't need anything um, like that. I think where Steve is, but Minnesota, you need a permit to carry. And mine actually expires in May, but I set an alert on my phone to, as a reminder to renew me because, again, that isn't something simple you want to expire. And all of a sudden, you're in that situation and you realize that, wow, your, my permit to carry expired by a week or a day or we say in England, sod's law here in America is Murphy's law. You know, that's when something is going to happen when, you, when you're out by a day. So, I mean, I had the forethought many years ago to put, a, put an alert on my phone saying, hey, your permit to carry is going to run out, go and get it renewed and stuff. So, there's a lot of sensibility, if that's such a word, that needs to come with the, with the depth responsibility of having that firearm on you. Absolutely. There's tremendous responsibility for you as a carrier, and there's a tremendous moral responsibility that goes along with that. And I think part of that moral responsibility is to have the mechanisms in place to protect you and your loved ones beyond that initial threat. 
you know, you, you don't do your family much good if you made a well-intentioned but maybe wrong decision when you pulled that trigger and two years from now you're bankrupt or in prison or both. Yeah, and in today's world, that, that is part of a reality, isn't it? Steve, talk, coming to you for a second back on the, the, the training side, I mean, what do you, with your experience and training, what do you see is often overlooked? by someone who is holding a firearm in public. Well, what's overlooked? Okay, well, uh, as I understand that, your question is, what am I seeing in the persons that are going to be on this team, want to be on this team? How trained are they? Do they really understand what they're getting into? Is that more or less correct? Yeah, and I think you, you may probably answer it at the back end. They may start there, you know, what, what are they getting into? Is that something that's overlooked? I've got to admit, when I talk to some people, and I look them in the eye and say, could you kill another human being? And there's a delay. Sometimes I say, that's too long. The answer's yes. Or you shouldn't maybe be carrying out firearms. So maybe walk us through that, Steve, about are they, are they mentally ready for what they might need to be prepared to do? The majority are not. There's a meme, I think, that says that the average person thinks he's 4,000% more effective at fighting than he actually is. This is true in many instances when the church security teams are put together. A lot of times people think that they will rise to the occasion. They're excited to be part of a program in which they feel like they're contributing to the benefit of the, uh, the members of the church and the visitors, and uh, they're excited to be there. But the, other than that, they're really not sure what they've gotten into. We've trained a number of those. We have ongoing training going on. We've got more classes this year. Usually about 50% of the students in a church security fundamentals class will have very poor shooting skills. Matter of fact, many of them, it's the first time that they've ever had a handgun in a holster. You'll see a variety of handguns, some of which are ideal and some of which are very detrimental, not only to the benefit of everybody around them, but probably to the user, and it is a real problem getting them to kind of see that, hey, there's a lot here that you don't know, and this is going to take a lot of work and a lot of commitment. The other thing that they don't take into consideration is that most, I'd say most gunfights that involve concealed carriers take place in transitional areas, that is in areas outside of the home where there are other people and items and objects around that may be struck by incoming or outgoing uh, gunfire. This is especially true in a church environment where you may be in a congregation or within a congregation that has anywhere from 25 to, in our case, 3,500 members in the main sanctuary. And as such, you represent a significant risk to any of those people if you get into a fight and you have to draw your gun. And so, this is kind of a surprise. As I was saying, each one of those can then be a civil litigant because of your action. Yeah. And it's funny, Steve, you took us there. So I have one of these, uh, some of my listeners might not know what this is, but I own one of the law enforcement uh, Milo simulators for the shoot, don't shoot. Uh, and I do that training here in, in Minnesota. And one of the things that we, we find is that, you know, for my listeners who don't know what a Milo system is, it's one of these 360 systems where as the permit to carry holder, you're looking at a screen and there's a replicated situation and you have to make a decision, do you shoot, don't shoot based on the information that you've got in front of you. 
And most often, when they start those scenarios, as you just mentioned, Steve, in crowded areas, they will just discharge their firearm off. And most often, if they were doing it in real life, they would have done two or three magazines because they've been click, 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 clicking, and they've you know, clicked um, click like 20 times. Realized you've gone through like three or four magazines. And I say to them that you need to slow down because this isn't at all cost. I think that's one thing that I see is that when people are in that situation, sometimes there can be a tendency to, well, I've got to eliminate the bad guy. Yes, you do, but only when it's safe to do it. You know, the fundamental of firearms is identifying your target. Um, and it's interesting when I see that a lot of people in the moment, they don't do that and they just keep discharging in one of these populated areas. And as Gary said, that's going to be a lawsuit from every little Maggie, little child that you take down in the way. It's not eliminate the bad guy at all, co- at all costs. It isn't. No, it's not. And uh, we do a live fire portion, which is basically an active shooter stage during our uh, church security classes in which we actually do have the uh, student go into an area. We tell them that there's an active shooting going on. And what we'll often do is we will put no shoots directly behind the target or maybe in front of the target. And in many instances, they will come in and they will stop, start shooting. And then we show them that, yes, that these three bullets that you just fired also hit this guy right over there. And you can just see kind of the, the lights come on in their eyes. Yeah. I don't know, Gary wanted to say something, Steve. I just got one quick follow-up question before we go to Gary. What was the, if, if with your experience and the scenario that I just laid down, uh, what is the roadmap? I mean, what, what would you say someone needs to go through where they most probably are in a position to make a sound decision when they're in a highly stressful situation and will remove like law enforcement officers because there's a lot of um, retired cops and law enforcement that work in church security, but the, the sort of a, the general person who wants to do good, who wants to serve their community, what would you say is their roadmap where they are then making sound um, and good decisions in one of these situations? Well, in those particular situations, I would suggest to the student after they understand what the job is going to be called for and if something happens, what the fight is going to look like is after that point, you definitely want to get your shooting skills up there where you know that you can place a round where it needs to be placed and you can shoot no faster than you can assess the impact of the last round fired. And then from there, I would suggest probably looking into an active shooter response course. One of the best ones I know of right now is going to be Last Resort. That's Ed Monk in Whitehall, Arkansas, does a tremendous instructor program. I've taken that. And another person that I would recommend is Carl Wren, KR Training. And he does multiple force-on-force classes that are extremely well thought out in which people participate in a variety of circumstances in which they have options to not shoot, shoot, in some instances, be a good witness, in other instances, move around. So getting some you know, experience in doing some of this, and there's, there's going to be trainers like that probably all over the United States. It just so happens that the two parties that I recommended right there are ones that come to mind that I'm very familiar with and I would recommend without any reservation. Yeah, and it's one of the reasons why I bought the, the I mean, I can tell you, it wasn't cheap. Anyone that's trained that minor system, it isn't It isn't cheap, but but it is so worthwhile because you really make those. It forces you, as you said, Steve, to slow down, assess the situation, 
and then make a decision based on the facts that you know. Um, and like I said, the, the danger or what I found is people te- seem to rush too quickly to eliminate the threat without really assessing the scene. And, and they lose track of that basic sort of law for sort of firearms fundamental is you've got to identify your target first. You really do. You know, Gary, you were going to say something a bit earlier. I don't know if it was, you've lost your fall, whether you want to step in here. Uh, well, I was just going to add to it dovetails in with this is, you know, for those of us that have been involved in actual deadly force incidents, you you experience physiological responses such as tunnel vision. I can tell you it was for me, my I was involved in a shooting decades ago, but it was almost like reading the book on the physiological responses that you can expect one of which was was tunnel vision. And the only way you can practice for that, short of actually being in an incident, is by inducing stress in training scenarios, which never is quite the same, but it is as close as you can get. That forcing yourself to keep breathing, keep functioning, keep assessing as that threat is developed and as you're addressing that threat. Yeah, and I think the Mar- I think it was a Marine that said this, or the Marines are often credited with saying it, you know, that the body can't go where the mind hasn't been. And as we yes. sort of drift back to the a sort of CCW safe coverage, you know, it really helps that you are thinking that, you know, you're with your wife and your family, you know what it's gonna look like to sort of draw your firearm and take another human's life with your wife watching. I mean I've got two sons, nine and twelve. I thought about what it might look like if I'm in public and I have to discharge my firearm and my two sons watch me do that. Yes, they'll know that dad did it for the right reason, but it's going to change how they view their dad seeing me take another human life. So always just live a small thought process. You've really got to think about them before you're in the moment because it is going to slow down your slow down your thinking time. I don't know, Steve, if you see us with your safety teams, but I always say to them, don't sit next to your wife during service. Don't sit next to your family. You know, for, for one hour... Just give it that attention that you're there, you're ready, you're able, because it's going to change how you respond by having your, your wife and family there. And in, uh, I don't think it was in my Facebook group, but in one Facebook group, I heard someone saying a couple of weeks ago, they said, well, I would make sure my wife and family are safe first. It's like, well, that isn't necessarily the role where you're telling the church that you're going to fulfill, you know. As a parishioner, that's fine. As a member of the security team, your responsibility is that whole congregation. Uh, and that would be uh, tremendously hard to separate if, uh, you know, a situation as we saw a couple times down in Texas uh, occurred to actually leave your your loved ones to try to address a threat. It'd have to be tremendously difficult. We recommend actually positioning all of the team members at pre-assigned posts that they go to that position before the service, they establish their post, they stay in their post until that service is over. If there is another service, we'll shift positions so no one's sitting in the same position. And then they're in a pre-assigned place before the worship starts, after the worship's over, and if there's worship services, multiple worship services between. So we always have people, or we want to always have people in a key position so that A, not only are they better prepared to pick up and intercept a threat, but actually they are in a position where they can move that they do not necessarily get caught up in the panic traffic flow 
which is probably going to be away away from wherever the threat is believed to be occurring at that particular point. And I think that's very critical. And when that's done, we find ourselves in a position that in many instances, these questionable people never make it into the sanctuary. Uh, It's very important, in my opinion, that a team has someone out in the parking lot because in almost every single instance, they come from the outside. There's an awful lot of church violence that takes place in parking lots, most especially in larger urban areas. But this also gives us a opportunity to see a threat coming and perhaps prepare for him or them or her before they can really get into position. And the other thing that we have seen taking place recently in active shooter scenarios is that the people that are coming up to actually assault the church or perhaps a school or a case of a supermarket, they start firing on the building through the glass windows on the way in. And so just knowing these things, having people tactically positioned, they know what they're supposed to do. They know where the support's going to come from. This is critically important. And it's certainly not going to happen if you're sitting on the third pew in the middle with your wife and kids. And Steve, you're right. I don't know the statistics, but I know that they are are very high. And if any of my listeners know, please um, drop me a message. I think Carl Chin at one point had some very um, damning data, but it is something like 80 or 90% of these church shootings, you're right, start in the parking lot. So that is our first layer of defense. So that's that's a key, key point there. And Gary's I know hopefully my listeners can follow us as we're bouncing around that a little bit, but it's sort of intentional on my part. But as we now think about the, the coverage, then Gary, the sort of the criminal versus versus civil, uh, what should someone listening to this podcast, if they don't have any coverage, uh, what should they be looking for in their coverage? What are some key things that you would expect to expect to see? Well, I mean, if someone was shopping for uh, for coverage. You would want something that allows you to pick your attorney. Uh, you want something that pays 100% of defense costs, not just attorney's fees. We all know there's going to be attorney fees. That's the most common and well-known. But we had a young man in North Carolina. We defended on a self-defense homicide charge. We spent more on private investigators and expert witnesses than we did on the attorneys, or an equal amount, actually. Some of the companies that advertise that they cover 100%, they limit those ancillary costs somewhat. You know, there's the, you don't want a company that has recoupment. Recoupment is, a, is an insurance term that uh, it's pretty universal across the United States that insurance regulations do not allow coverage for an illegal act. Well, most people don't realize you, in self-defense, you're a... It's called an affirmative defense. You're admitting you committed the act, but you have the legal justification of self-defense for doing something that would otherwise be a crime. Well, the recoupment becomes a big issue because if you are found guilty, we will file an appeal. Those that have that may want their money back before they file that appeal. And if the case is adjudicated and finished, they can take that back. You also want to uh, look for experience. You know, between our team of professionals, we advertise 100 years of law enforcement and 100 years of defense experience. I think in reality, we're 
we're somewhere around 150 years now of combined experience. Uh, you know, with Steve's experience, my experience, all three of the founders have anywhere from four to 20 plus years of law enforcement experience. That criminal defense specifically, and this is where it gets tricky sometimes, just because somebody's a good 2A attorney doesn't mean they're a good self-defense attorney. You want, we want an attorney that it specializes in either criminal or civil self-defense. So, which brings us back to the, the point of being able to pick your own attorney. If you can only use the attorney that they have pre-selected for you, there may well be reasons that you don't want to do that. And beyond that, you want good bond coverage. A lot of people don't realize that if you don't speak to law enforcement initially, you may be detained. By being detained, I mean placed in the crossbar hotel downtown. And you may, they generally have bond schedules. So if you've discharged your weapon and it's a shooting with intent, it's probably going to be a fifteen, twenty thousand dollar bond. Well, if you don't have that fifteen or twenty thousand, you're going to have to put up. Usually, it's around ten percent of that. That money is gone forever. If you show up for court like you agreed to do, that bond fee of ten percent is what that bondsman earns for posting that bond for you. So you want good bond coverage. You want you know as high as possible. Our our basic bond coverage is is right at a million we have from 250 to one and a half million options other than that you want somebody that's responsive that's got a good team behind them so well you, you've listed enough there i'm going to go for god i've been scribbling some notes down as you've gone to my listeners i'm, I'm saving you the work but you've got you have to pick an attorney someone who specializes in self-defense 100 percent of costs, someone who knows civil and criminal or the policies could help you with civil and criminal, the recruitment, the experience, good bond coverage, um, and just someone really that is going to be responsive to your needs. So there's, there's a lot in there for people to really look around and, and see. Obviously, CCW have all those things. I'm sure there's others out there, but you know, if you've got someone that gives you what you need, go, go for it. Yeah. Yeah. Find the one that fits your needs the best and, and go with that one. We'd love for you to come to CCW Safe, but if another provider fits your needs better, go with them. Uh, well, Gary, I've got one question for you because this often comes up as well. Uh, should the church be paying for people's individual policies? Uh, what would you say there? You know, if if the church hires a security company, a security guard, generally that company is going to have some kind of liability coverage. That's going to be required for them to practice. In this realm, where you're technically a volunteer, either it's kind of an all or nothing deal. If you're wanting security guards, that liability transfers to that security. With the volunteer security teams, it rests on the individual team members and then potentially the church. If a team member has coverage, that alleviates some of that uh, liability burden on the church. We have a few security teams that the churches pay for their membership. They're not paid to be members, but they're paid. The church either reimburses 
or pays for the the membership itself and that gives the church some protection and it gives the member a lot of protection and steve what, what would you say that conversation looks like so if, if i'm going to i mean statistically most churches across the country have less than 120 people in so they're not the multi-million dollar mega church is where a lot of my business comes from i'm sure a lot of people have your policies if someone's at a small church well, what does that conversation look like, Steve, if they want to approach someone in their church and say, hey, oh, I'm doing this for you, but I feel like the church should really be supportive. That might mean the church paying for my, my insurance policies. Uh, in some instances, that will take place. In many instances, it will not. The way I kind of look at it is that as a private citizen, I'm probably much more likely to find myself in need of CCW safe services that has nothing to do with the church itself or anything that took place on the church grounds. I need that to protect myself. I need that to protect my family. If something happens that involves me, it's not going to just impact me. It's going to impact my wife. It's going to impact my daughter. It's going to impact my grandchildren. So I'm going to do that anyway. So my recommendation is no problem in asking for that. But if you're willing to kind of take on this additional liability and responsibility and do it without any kind of legal coverage, I think that I maybe kind of question your judgment, and this really may not be what you need to be doing. I actually I do like that you said that, because with me being here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and actually this is a real life story, this happened to me around three weeks ago, I was, I was visiting a client in a really, really bad part of Minneapolis, and just as like had it, I had like three or four miles worth of gas left in my car. I was thinking, oh, I've got to find a gas station now and fill up. And I went to a gas station and this white truck pulled up alongside me. Like four guys got out and started to walk towards me. And in my mind, it was only for the fact that I was openly carrying the fact that I saw these four guys then just disappeared off back. They got in their white truck and they drove away. And it's a real reminder that these incidents can happen anywhere. What was their motive? I don't know. But they were walking towards me and it was only when they saw that I was open carrying that they decided this isn't perhaps the victim for us and left. And, you know, I never wanted to get into a gun battle with anyone in public, but that is the reality of, of today's modern wealth. And you're right, Steve. I mean, we drive our cars, we insure our houses. Why would you not invest two, three, four, five hundred dollars on a policy that you never need? Because that's exactly the same as driving the car. I insure my car every year, but hope I never need to make a claim, you know. My, well, my membership, my CCW Safe membership costs less than I pay for my streaming services for uh, video entertainment. That gives me a few hours of uh, simplistic pleasure to watch a movie. This may keep me out of prison or keep me out of bankruptcy. Uh, one thing I was going to add is that a combination of training and awareness, preparation, backed by legal coverage, if I do everything right on my part, is also something that may go ahead and free myself up or someone else up to effectively defend themselves. Whereas in many instances, people in fear literally let people walk up to them and assault them because they don't know what to do and they don't want to make a mistake. And so to me, that's just kind of part of the total package, making sure I'm trained, I'm prepared, I'm skilled, I have whatever tools I need, and I have, in my instance, CCW safe back in me. And I always say to my listeners, you know, there is no affiliation between me and CC or CCW safe 
I've done my research. I've looked online. I like the fact they have civil and criminal costs. And wherever you choose to go, just do do your homework. But I think in today's world, you need some type of policy. But I want to know, you know, the, the guys are on here. I've got no affiliation with them, but I believe they've got a good policy that you should take a look at. Because as Gary said, you know, for less than he's streaming, you've got some peace of mind. If you don't have anything, take a look at their website, see if it's for you. If you do have something, maybe take a look at the small print of your current policy and see see what the difference is between CCW Safe and, and anywhere else that you are already. So, Gary, Steve, as we um wrap up what is the best way for people to get hold of you well our, our website is uh we're largely virtual uh you can get all the information off the website ccwsafe.com we also have full-time business hour customer service agents that will be glad to help our website actually has a interactive tool on it that helps you select the best plan for your needs if you go to ccwsafe.com and then go to get started, it will help you select. My email is gary, G-A-R-Y, at ccwsafe.com. I've been with the company now almost six years and can answer any question anybody may have. And you've got a really nice looking website as well. I was jealous when I went on that. Well. It's a very sharp looking website. And if you do reach out to Gary and hit his, his email, please let him know that you've found him via this podcast. So that, that would be good for, for him to know. And Steve, I know with your training that you do, your, your defense training, your firearms training, what's some of the best ways for people to get hold of you? Well, my company is Palisade Training Group, LLC. Our website is www.ptgtraining.com llc.com my personal email is steve underscore moses at msn.com and my farm trainers association email account is steve m f t a at gmail.com well guys it's been a great conversation and i'm going to let the dust settle see what questions we have but i would love for you both to come back on again because it's been a really interesting conversation i hope my listeners I know very rarely do I interview two people at the same time. So hopefully they, they followed the conversation and it's helped and served them in a way. But Gary and Steve, for now, thank you for joining me on the Church Security Most Simple podcast. Thanks for including me. Thanks for having us, Simon. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to the Church Security Made Simple podcast. If you're looking for training on how to keep you and your church community safe, or if you're interested in working with me on my five-week group coaching program, please head over to worshipsecurity.org. And if you've enjoyed this podcast episode, don't forget to rate and review wherever you are listening. Now, I'll be back with you on the next episode, but until then, stay safe, have a blessed day, and remember, always plan, prepare, and protect your ministry.